0: Please sit comfortably. Good evening, everyone. Good to be back. Good evening, everyone on Zoom. So we're back from an interesting trip to England and Ireland and Italy. Like like many trips, it's sort of very, it, it's interesting. It's not always smooth sailing. <laughs> um, but because we went to Florence, um, which is some of you, many of you may know, is the um, hometown of Dante, who wrote the Divine Comedy. But using that as an analogy, we, we went through hell and purgatory to get to <laughs> paradise at times. <laughs> extremely extremely hot in in Italy, and the Italians said it's never been so hot, and it's never been so crowded. So we had to struggle with crowds and so on to get to some very beautiful and interesting places and interesting experiences. But on the theme of delusion, I think that Diana and I realised that we're still quite deluded um, because we did things like um, walking up 400 steep steps in the Dome in Florence, do you know, which is a long way up, and in a castle in Ireland, as well as doing a, a very long, quite arduous uh, walk in southern Italy called the Path of the Gods, which we'd been on before in sort of sort of very blistering heat. And uh, at one point, we we kind of realised we're the only people over seventy doing this. <laughs> in fact, there wasn't anyone over forty doing it. <laughs> right, so we have, I think we have, we're still dealing with delusions that we're forty years old. And, and their bodies are complaining. <laughs> anyway, um, there was a very um, interesting book which I read during the time I was away, and um, I'd like to talk a little bit about that and its relevance to practice. And um, it's a book which is in many ways on, on par with <coughs> and similar to Um, Ian McGilchrist's books on the Master and the Emissary and so on. And it's by an American woman um, professor of psychology called Dasha Navais. Navais. I think Spanish. Spanish in background. And it's called Neurobiology and the Development of Human Morality. And I think it's a real ground breaking book. So I'll, I'll kind of do a a synopsis of it, and and um, uh, I may do a few Dharma talks on it because there's a lot of material in it um, in terms of its relevance to practice. Mm-hmm. But um, the way human beings have understood moral behaviour in the past was like through um, religious doctrine, like it, like the Christian doctrine of original sin. That's a way of explaining it. And then as time evolved through Western philosophy, um, it was kind of understood philosophically along the lines that what is moral behaviour is um, the, the supremacy of reason over emotion. So Dasha Navais breaks with that tradition, and what, what she is basically saying is that emotion and our emotional life and the way that we regulate our emotions is actually the basis for our for our moral behaviour. So how we manage, you know, how we experience empathy and love and to what degree we're, we're angry or we're indifferent or whatever shapes our, our moral way of relating to the world. And, of course, what we understand from... Um, psychology, and this is, this is all evidence-based, you know, and neurobiology, is that, um, that infants, human infants, in the first few years of their life need loving, responsive parental care for their brains to actually develop, you know, and for the circuitry to develop in their brains so that they have a sense of connectedness with other human beings and a sense of empathy. And a sense of impulse control, too, where they can um, inhibit harmful things that may be harmful to themselves or others. All of those things develop in, you know, particularly the first two or three years of our life. And particularly the right side of the brain develops rapidly in those three years where a lot of this is is centred. And um, so having loving resp- responsive parenting is one, one of the bases through which we develop loving kind adults you know who then naturally just act in a, a much more moral way because their, their primary experience is one of love and kindness so they just keep connecting more but that's but that's not that's not the experience that all of us have and all of us um, have the experience through parenting, through our culture, through traumas and distressing experiences and so on, what happens is that we um, we go... ..we, we develop... We, we de- ..our survival instincts take over. So the, the, the prim- most primary thing is we want to survive, and particularly when we're younger and our distresses are not responded to or... Um, we've, we experience abuse or criticism or ostracism or whatever, is that we go into a stress reaction. Do you know, stress is what happens when we need to survive. And those stress reactions, to name them, are, when we go into stress, we have, we have rage, we have fear, um, we have um, panic that comes along with separation, like separation from a mother, whatever, We also have indifference that occurs when people just shut down, like dissociation, so it's a numbing out, shutting kind of experience. And also what happens when people are under distress is that they have um, excessive seeking out behaviours, which translates into addictions of all the various kinds, addiction to money or drugs or whatever. And so when we're in that survival mechanism, it becomes self-protective and those stress reactions occur. And, when, and then if they become chronic kind of uh, reactions that we have in life, then all of those self-protective survival stress mechanisms lead to behaviours which are not necessarily ethical, you know, in the sense of not loving, kind... To do with um, pro-social kind of behaviours. And we we all experience that to one degree and what she's emphasising is that um, genetics only comes into this about 10% and the rest of it is epigenetics, how our experience shapes the way whether genes are expressed or not. Um, Experience shapes our brain either into having these predominant loving, connecting circuits or this survival mechanism. And I would suggest we all inherit a lot of that survival self-protective mechanism um, from our culture, from intergenerational trauma, etc. And so you could say that what all of that is is a self-centred dream. You know, is that we we default back into that self-centred dream and self-survival and um, and stress reactions, and act that out in various kind of ways, particularly when we're under stress of one kind or another. And what she says of her own culture, which is an American culture, is that sort of the the profile of the s- successful American is someone who's competitive, insecure, and hierarchical. Mm-hmm. And I think you could say that of many cultures, including our own, and particularly in cultures where the individual is given individuality is given a sort of a um, a privileging over the over the importance of of the um, collective, uh, or the tribe or the, the group, and so that leads to that conditioning, cultural conditioning, and family conditioning into. I'm the most important thing I'm more important than anything else and the sense of the collective whole is lost in that you could also say that's true of um, authoritarian regimes where there's an aggressive um, uh, demand to perform or to do things for the sake of the collective at the sake of at the expense of human rights too. it could work the other way around but she she uses as a what's at the basis of her view which i don't entirely agree with but she has a kind of utopian idea of what we were like as hunter gatherers and and we need to be reminded of the history that we were hunter gatherers for about something like 100 million years before we then became um, civil, civilized into an agricultural community so for less than 1% of our Inheritance, genetic inheritance, and in everything as human beings for less than one percent we've been civilised, which is the last ten thousand years. Uh-huh. So we inherit a lot from before then. But her her personal experience and her research into small band hunter gatherers is that they were very very that child rearing practices were very very responsive and inclusive of children. They just didn't have parents, but they had older children they were interacting with and they were around people all the time. So they learnt a lot of very pro-social behaviours and we've lost a lot of that. And that a lot of our, um, not that we can go back to being hunters and gatherers again, but if we, we develop some of the values and lifestyle that came out of that again, being connected with nature more, and so on, responsive parenting, is that we will grow more loving and kind human beings who are interested in not only have, because in their cultures they had not only um, a lot of personal autonomy, but also um, uh, altruistic, pro-social behaviours that are concerned with everyone. So it's not like, a polarisation between what's good for everyone else and what's good for me. There wasn't any, any duality between the two. So that's how she's um, uh, uh, diagnosing what the problem is, in a sense, with human morality. Um, but the book is not just about um, understanding the cause of it. Um, at least half of the book is about what we can do as individuals to grow that better sense of of, um, of human morality, and um, and you can find all of them in in Zen practice. So one is about calming that sort of chronic stress reaction we have to things where we emotionally react by through meditation, you know, through mindfulness, learning to calm that that process down because we act from a more moral position when we come. The other is the importance of um, playfulness, you know, learning learning how to be playful, Um, learning how to play with other people Um, and sociability, you know, like just learning to, to be around other people and responding to other people all helps grow that sense of cohesion and oneness, you know, that we can tend to lose. So it's... It, and and it also involves... So it involves that meditation, calming, playfulness, the capacity to um, self-reflect on our own behaviour, which we get through, like, studying the precepts and precept groups. We can reflect on, was that harm... Was that... Was that behaviour harmful, what emotion did that come from, how can I do that differently? And what she emphasises is that human beings have the capacity to, um, we're evolved enough that we self-organise. So even though we may have inherited difficulties from and collected traumas and so on out from our past, we do have the capacity to reorganise and to Um, re-author our experience, transform our experience as well. We have that capability. So it's all an interesting kind of new modern neurological, psychological way of understanding um, what moral behaviour is. It's a very new field and it's now got a name, of course, it's called neuroethics or neuromorality. But it's a good example of, like within the (coughs) Gilchrist books, where um, science and religion are coming together rather than being antagonistic to one another. So it's part of that genre which is emerging. Um, It's not an easy book to read, um, but I would encourage you to. Um, As you probably know by now, I'm not really a proselytiser of Zen, but I'm a proselytiser of good books. (laughs) (laughs) And you've heard a lot about me from me and McGillchrist over the last year or two, you'll probably hear more from me about Dasha and Lave's book as well. But it's it's a very rich book and um, I think it really helps us understand um, helps us understand where our behaviours come from at time. Not in a not in a judgmental way um, but in a way that helps us to uh, understand our practice a lot more. So you can see, for example, how a simple practice like thought labelling and emotion labelling are important because there's a whole lot of implicit unconscious material that we have that drives our behaviour. And the more you become aware of it and you make the implicit explicit by being conscious of it and labelling, the more you bring that to the surface, the more you understand it, the more you start to integrate it. Um, but while it remains unconscious or out of sight or out of, out of mind, um, we keep acting out of old traumas which then influence our behaviour.